Well, I like setting the bar good and low, so if you raise anything but a Hitler, you'll have done better than, than most. <laughs> so you're going to probably do okay. That's good. And but, I, the, uh, but then they mentioned Judy and Jim Wimberly, and so I thought, we are the so far so good legacy, right? Well, okay. You know, I'm glad you said that, because I, I don't want to pop Desi's bubble, but I don't know if you know it, but Jim and Judy Wimberly's oldest daughter is a prodigal. And she would write letters and leave messages to this day to her parents that would embarrass everybody in this room, filled with hate, vile language, and um, a ton of pain. And, uh, and so Jim and Judy are wonderful people, but I just I want to uh, let you know that even from those wonderful people comes a, a daughter that is um, wreaking havoc in their souls. And so... Uh, you know, I'm, I, I don't know if we're going to disappoint you or not today. I'm already disappointed. I heard that y'all paid five bucks. They told me it was for the honorarium. And uh, <laughs> now I come to find out it's for child care. So and I've already got a setback. And printing. And printing, yes. No. Uh, no, uh, but this will be fun. I, I'm, I'm kind of uh, conflicted because you guys, you get to look and, and, and uh, have to look and have to hear from me on a regular basis. And I'm sure that you are most excited because Alex was going to be here. She is kind of like this invisible woman. It's good that she appears every now and then because people go, I've never met your wife. So I know you want to hear from her. Here's my problem. She doesn't like to speak, all right? And she's like, you better fill this time up. I do up, like right? to speak, but just in smaller crowds. Yeah, all right. Like good. one table of people. All right. So good. I, I will tell you what, you are blessed if she will, and I'm glad she's here. Alex doesn't really like the thought of speaking, but once she gets up here, she'll, she'll bless you a ton. So um, some of you have been kind enough to pray with us and for us already, but let me just do that right now, and we'll see if we can't redeem some of this time, okay? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for um, my wife. Thank you that I get to sit up here with her and uh, just enjoy this time with all these friends. What an amazing thing that this many parents would carve out some time from their day, especially thank you for guys that have the flexibility and the ability and the humility and the heart and the wisdom to join their wives here. I pray for the guys that aren't, um, you know, just that they could really hear this from their wife in a way that would be useful to them as a couple. Uh, For single moms or dads that are in this room, Father, we pray especially your grace on them. And so just use this time to not overwhelm us, But just to encourage us, we want to do what your word says we should do, which is to spur each other on and to excel still more. And we know the Wagners want to do that. Um, I lift up Jim and Judy's oldest daughter. We pray for her all the time. Just, Father, that you would work graciously in her life. And we lift up our children that have been cursed with the curse of cursed parents, whose flesh is weak, whose souls are prone to wonder, and who are not as you are. We thank you for your redemptive grace that is uh, recapturing our hearts so that we can be more of what you intended parents to be for their children. And I pray you would use these next few minutes together to, even as Desi said in Romans, that we would not be um, conformed to the world. We wouldn't be a typical parent who is passive and absent and wishful, but not intentional. But we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we might prove out, Father, what the will of God is. A life that is good and acceptable and perfect and sweet, uh, where families are whole and uh, pain is diminished and uh, peace reigns. So we, we pray for shalom, your intended kindness on our life. 
And we know, Father, if we abide with you, we can bear that fruit. So just use this morning now for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, yeah, you guys may not have known it, but I, I wanted to be a Pentecostal pastor, but she would not get on the billboard with me. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's not that I don't mind speaking. I, I don't mind speaking. I just don't like talking at people for 45 minutes. I'd rather have dialogue. He likes to go. He can't even cram it all in in 45 minutes. I can't come up with what to say for 45 straight minutes. She doesn't have any problem talking at me for 45 minutes. I'll just tell you that. <sighs> that's, a, that's a different ministry. Yes, it is. <laughs> There's a reason I started re-engage. Uh, we are glad to be here. This is really going to be fun, and what a privilege. And I mean, way to go. You know what's so great, what I love about this place, is that, uh, and I say this a lot, I mean, we're in the middle of, of just sharing right now with some friends in Fort Worth what we shared with some friends in Dallas um, 12 years ago, which is that we, we, we don't want to do church and invite people to it. We, we want to be the church with others who are invited by Christ into just His amazing outpouring of grace. As Desi shared... As Kyle reminded me, this ministry, the, the, these turquoise blue shirts, th- this is not our staff. This is the body of Christ. This is ministers of the gospel. These are moms that are trying to help you as uh, fellow sisters in Christ. Every ministry at Watermark, you guys need every single ministry at Watermark, other than what we do on Sunday mornings and initially the way we love, shepherd, and care for kids on Sunday mornings, has been started by... Uh, Godly people who were passionate, and God gave them gifts. And frankly, our job as a staff is to set you guys up for success. And look at the fruit of this. Look at what you guys have done for one another. So way to go. I am so encouraged. This is what the body of Christ should be. This is what the body does for one another. Okay, so let's dive in, okay? When I, I just thought I'd start with just a couple of things, and, and Alex is going to weave in with me all throughout. But um, you guys know who Malcolm Gladwell is? Malcolm Gladwell... Um, is the guy that was uh, famous for writing a lot of books. Just he took sociology and kind of pushed it into the mainstream. And, um, and, and one of his recent books called Outliers, I, I pulled a little excerpt from. It's a book where he just basically talks about what makes people outstanding at what they do. And he just said, it's not always what you think it is. And a lot of us, we look at at others, and we just kind of go, well, man, they are just, they're just something else. They're naturally gifted. I mean, LeBron, okay, if you're into sports, there's something different about that guy. Even amongst NBA players, you look at LeBron and go, okay, that dude is naturally gifted. There's no question when you hear people with certain gifts like a, a Callie or a Kyle sing on Sunday, you go, okay, that, that's an outlier there. Those people are not like the rest of us in terms of their giftedness. But I think what all of us forget about LeBron, about Callie, about um, Kyle... Uh, even about Steve Jobs and those guys of the world, is what, what really sets them apart. Because I, I, I will tell you, I've met other people physically as impressive as LeBron. And I, I know there are some people that can sing like Kyle and Callie, but they're not on those stages. The reason that people get on those stages, and this is what he was saying, it's an outlier, it's not what you think it is, is not because they are especially gifted. But I'll read you from his quote. He just said, uh, The greatest athletes, entrepreneurs, musicians, and scientists emerge only after spending three hours a day for at least a decade mastering their field. And he went through and proved it. 
He, he talked about how Bill Gates got where he was. Um, I will tell you, LeBron James has spent three hours a day over 10 years. In other words, it's 10,000 hours. That, that's what he said the outlier is. To reach a significant level of expertise, greatness, and to be a human outlier. It's not as much natural giftedness, though clearly some of us start further down the road than others, okay? Um, but what, what really sets you apart is when you say, I'm going to be committed to this thing, and I'm going to do it very, very well. Let me just say this. Some of you guys have come from homes where you, you've got more of a LeBron start, you know, I mean, I don't know how many of you were raised by godly parents in a godly home, the, the Jim and Judy Wimberley no, um, let's, mirage. Are you going to ask them to raise their hand? Because I'd love to see that. Okay, my wife wants you to raise your hand. If you were, let us let us see your hand. How many folks would go, man, my parents bless me. All right. Wow. So that what a gift. We hope that when your kids sit here, every hand goes up. Mm. But 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 I will say this. You guys are, are get a head start. But I'm going to tell you, you will not be all NBA your kids will not raise their hand in this room unless you do this thing that sets people apart as godly parents, and that is to apply yourself with diligence. I, I, I brought here, we did a, a, a dad's class. Some of the guys in here might have been with us when we did this last fall, and I just wrote down something to one of the guys in my group, a dad that I had met through some of the teams I coached and invited to come with me. He said this, he goes, I have a plan for every area of my life. I have a plan for my job. I've got a plan for my personal uh, financial future. I've got a plan for my physical health. But I realized last week, Todd, that in the most important area of my life, I have no plan. And in other words, he didn't know how he was going to, 10 years from now, 10,000 hours from now, have the product that he wanted. And I think a lot of us just start into, we all dream. I mean, we get married, right? We get married just imagining how sweet it's going to be to die together. We listen to a Paisley song about, you know, growing old. And we just go, I want that to be my song. That's the one I'm playing, not at my wedding, but at my 50th anniversary. And then yet we get into our marriages two, four, five, ten years down the road, and we're like, I don't know if I want a 50th anniversary. I'm kind of praying for a funeral quickly, you know, for her, for me. And, and, and I want to tell you, the reason that happens is because... We don't do the things that will lend itself to what we want. And it doesn't, I just need to, I want to pop your bubble. I mean, it, it's not going to happen. I mean, if you're going to just count on the grace card being dealt your child, then, you know, be free. But I will just tell you, God warns you against that. He says a man's going to reap what he sows. And, uh, and typically what we reap is, is infinitely more than what we sowed. And, and we're going to start, as we talk about a legacy, by uh, thinking about those things. Sweetie, any comments? Um, well, going back just a little bit, I was thinking, when you guys all raised your hand, I was just amazed at how many hands went up. Because when we uh, were in a community group about 20 years ago, um, we were just getting started with kids. We were with about 10 couples. And there were, do you remember there was only one couple who could raise their hand out of the 10 that said they were raised in a, in a godly home? Yeah pretty amazing yeah so hey so, and so good's happening right yeah or at least and, we're in a culture of grace which is what the church should be right and so just in saying that so there's still those 10 couples are still walking with the lord they're married well maybe one isn't but a lot of them uh probably nine out of ten are walking with the lord and um you know raising a godly family 
and are able to start their legacy from this point forward, you know, their spiritual legacy. So, and then um, I had something else, but I'll come back to it. It'll left my mind. All right, good. So, so one other thing I just want to you know, share with you that another guy in that little small group, and I thought it was just so apropos for what we're going to talk about today. Um, this is a guy that was also in the group. The, the one guy, you know, his oldest kid was the age of my youngest. And so he was just getting started. He was just numbed into realizing I had a plan. Another guy heard that. And, and he just said, and I wrote his quote down. He said, where I am, where my kids are today, I can't believe. He said, there are teenagers today and I didn't ill-intentionally get to where they were teenagers and me just now showing up as a father. He said, but here I am with 14, 15, and 16-year-olds, and I, I haven't done what I was supposed to do. And so let me just start by, by what I'm trying to do here as we get ready to go is I'm, I'm just begging you to not be a person that keeps their fingers crossed and hope... You know, you can't buy a piano and hope you can play it. You just can't. You, you're going to have to sit down. You're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to get disciplined. You're going to get around others who motivate you, who can help you. And, and the people in this room that will do better than the other people in this room are the people that are going to do something, anything. And, and that is my, that's what I want you to take away with today. Don't be overwhelmed at how great Family X has been. Okay? If you see LeBron, you're going to go, why even start? I'll never be a LeBron. But what I would encourage you to do is just go, today I'm going to do something. Today it's going to get better. Today I'm going to be intentional about carving into that 10,000 hours that it's going to take for my kid to be an outlier because they're going to be raised underneath some grace. You know, also too, you're in this stage of life where you're spending the majority of of time with your kids. That decreases, you know, as as you all know, that decreases as um, your kids get older and then you've got your kids in school, and they're spending time with, a, you know, folks that you don't know all that well. And so use the time that you do have with them um, now to invest deeply. All right, so legacy. We want to leave a legacy. And, um, and, and here's just what I'm going to uh, let you know. I, I'll, I'll start with a, a fairly sobering verse. It comes in Exodus. It shows up a couple of times in Exodus. In Exodus 20, verses 1 through 6. I think I gave you guys Exodus 34, didn't I? verses 6 through 7, and it talks about what our Heavenly Father is like and, um, and who He is. And so this is what it says in Exodus 34, 6, and 7. It's where Moses asked God to reveal him to him uh, the nature and the character of God. And so it, it says in Exodus 34, you know, the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, and it says, uh, the Lord, the Lord God. And I want to tell you what, if you want some words to it's going to help you be a parent. You know, pay note right here. You know, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger. And, and I pause on that one. You know, that's the one I need to pause on. And abounding in loving kindness and truth. Who keeps his loving kindness for thousands, it says. And, and, and who forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sin. Yet by no means will he leave the guilty unpunished. There's justice, there's love, there's mercy, there's grace. But he is a holy God. There is consequences to people who leave him. Now watch this. Visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and the fourth generations. Now what does that mean? Some people go, well, does that mean, you know, why does God punish children and grandchildren? And really, fourth generation, great-grandchildren, because dad was an idiot. And because mom was an idiot. 
And it's not like there is, and then some people every now and then, about every 10 years, there's this false idea that pops up with, with, um, with, with generational spirits or with family demons that you need to figure out what it was and go through this process to exercise that demon from your family. And I just want to tell you that is not a consistent biblical idea. What I will tell you, though, is very real, is that it's not typical that a, a student is greater than his teacher or that a servant is greater than his master. What God is basically saying here is, I'm going to limit the impact of any one fool on humankind, but I will not limit the impact of the eternal nature of who I am and my kindness and goodness forever on all of humanity. I will always be a God that seeks my children. I will always be a God that that wants to redeem my children. I will always be ready to start with any generation that wants to walk with me. But you need to know this, okay? What you do matters, and the legacy that you're going to leave is going to have to be an incredible chasm that your kids are going to have to jump over, or it's going to be, you know, a ramp that's going to launch them to greatness, because what you do will affect your children, all right? It will affect them immensely. Nothing will affect your children as much as you. When I think about my kids being discipled, I don't think about Ginger Lord or Watermark. It doesn't even cross my mind. I don't even think about their small group leader. It doesn't even cross my mind. When I think about the future of my children, I think about this woman and this man. And so anything that happens outside of that is a supplement. And, and any, anything that you choose to make a substitute, I'm just telling you, it, it's going to be a major deficit. Also, I realize this. I've seen it. I've seen the character flaws in my children. I can trace them right back to Alex every time. (laughs) And I just look at her and I go, what? What? See? This is why I need a microphone sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, and people that know us know, you know, where to trace this stuff back to. And, 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 and they, and they don't typically blame the long haired one. And and um, and rightly so. But, I mean, but that isn't really completely true. Yeah. I mean, I think you do throw yourself under the bus a little bit more than you need to. I mean, my kids are. Um, we'll talk to y'all a little bit in a little bit about um, some questions we ask our kids, and th- there's some honest answers there on you know what they'd like to see us do less and uh, how we can parent them better. Yeah, we we did. We just did a little. We do this periodically. We, we Wagner family surveys and. Uh, <laughs> And, and uh, you know, just a little customer care management. <laughs> um, but the oldest filled it out last night, laid it on the bed, and she said, I just want you to know I filled it out right after I had a really bad conversation with mom. I was ticked when I wrote that. And I said, well, you want to take it back and fill it out again before I, I log that into the database, you know? And she was like, no, I was just telling you, all right? <laughs> So uh, it's kind of like a waitress. I'm like, sweetie, when the survey's coming, you've got to be nice that last five minutes before the tip comes. So, um, so anyway, we'll share with you um, a little bit about that. But, uh, so, so, so let me just share this. What we do matters. There is, and, and here's just why it goes that way. I mean, I don't know how many of you guys knew. Uh, I knew my great-great-grandmother. I, I, I knew her well. She was alive till I was old enough to really have a relationship with her. But that's pretty unusual. Most of us know our grandparents. Few of us know our great-grandparents. I, my, I knew my great-grandma really well. And because um, I had a 17-year-old, 16-year-old, 18-year-old series of women that had babies. And I was kind of thrown into the middle of that or the end of that line. And so we, we all were kind of together. But the truth is the men weren't around. Uh, but there's still, you could see impact from great-grandma 
down to really great grandson because she affected me. Well, all God's saying in that, just to tell you, is that he limits your ability to one-on-one personally disciple that and have an effect on that particular age of, of child, okay? But you're going to have it. And I will tell you, here's one thing. All of us look for that day when we'll be grandparents. And I tell people this all the time. The best thing, if you want to be a great grandma or a great grandfather, then the absolute best way for you to do that is to love your children well. Because weekend at grandma's, all right, weekend at grandpa's, as fun as you can make it now that you've gotten your head right, they got to go back home and live with mom and pa that you raised, the way you raised them. And so you're, you're one week of now being redeemed and getting your mind right, okay, if in fact that happens, uh, isn't going to overcome the 51 weeks of hell that they're living with because of the hell that your kid lived with. So, so that's, what that, that's what that's really saying. You know, and certainly back then, family units were much more together, and Grandpa wasn't just over there for the weekend. He was there in the home, and if he thought women were uh, objects that were to be, um, you know, yelled at and to perform and were only good for this and that, then that's what Johnny's going to believe. That's what Johnny Jr.'s going to believe, and it's going to go down until somebody breaks the chain. So let me insert this. I, I, uh, there's a sweet young guy who's uh, just joined our, our staff team as a resident who is Korean, in fact, if you take him back 100 generations, his family, actually, his Korean family is distinguished. It invented the Korean language. This guy has uh, relationships that go all the way back into some of the most royal parts of the Korean worldview. And, and none of them knew Christ until his daddy. His daddy trusted Christ. And as I was talking about this topic with a number of guys, Michael just shared this with me. He said, make sure you tell people that they can change a legacy. Because I come from a long line, you know, he said, of Buddhists. And not only a long line of Buddhists, but formality in Korea is extreme. He said he doesn't even know the names. I mean, like the proper names of most of his uncles and aunts and, he, you know, his grandfather, because there are names that you're told. If this is your grandfather, you call him this name. And everybody, there's no grandpa names in Korea. You call him with respect that name. And that's the only name you ever really know him. And you have a certain kind of relationship with him. And so all that to be said is his dad came to know Christ. And when his dad came to know Christ, it, it was a family that wasn't affectionate, but as his father began to become himself more tender he started to love up and he said my grandfather i remember i was a young boy and i watched my dad move towards my father and embrace him in an airport in los angeles and my grandfather just stood there like this when his son he was shamed that his son showed any affection and not just distant respect and he said but you know what my dad loved me and over the last 15 years i've now seen my grandfather learn to love my dad and I'm going to tell you, that is breaking thousands of generations of formality and stiffness and distance. And there's healing because of what Christ is doing in the life. And he said, so you make sure and tell them that wherever they come from, they can be the ones that break the change. They can start thousands of years of blessing and not continue thousands of years of curse. But you're not going to do it because you want to. You're going to do it because of your relationship with Jesus. So one of the things that uh, we, we thought, there was a, we just said, hey, there's some questions. If we get to a Q&A, they go, the room's going to be too large for Q&A. And so they, they said, but here's some questions. If we did do Q&A, we hope they would ask. One of them is, what is the main thing? If you could tell them one thing that people could do to help with a legacy, what would you do? What would you tell them? And I would tell you this, okay? Or, or do you want to just share it, sweetie? Well, I, you know, do you want to go through it? Let's just do, grab this one, then we'll go back through okay, some stuff and get can, to these if we have time. But that one fits with this. 
And that's the idea. There's a couple of them down there. And I'll, I'll say this one line. The number one thing that you can do to bless your children is to grow in your intimacy with and relationship with Jesus Christ. And I, I will honestly tell you that. I, I, I don't want to disappoint you. People come sometimes from churches all around the world. And they sit down with me and they go, Todd, tell, tell, what are you do? what's God doing here? How's he doing it? What's the secret? And I go, okay, you ready? We, we're committed to taking God's word seriously. Making sure that we're following it ourselves and not just getting people to come and listen to us talk about it. And, and, and we are committed to making disciples. And then I get quiet and they're like, Oh, come on. I mean, but what are you really doing? And I want to just say, no, that's really what we're doing. And, uh, and, and I, I will tell you, if there is a legacy that's coming out of Alex and Todd Wagner that's going to be a blessing, it is directly tied to our own personal walks with Jesus Christ. And so the number one thing you can do to leave a godly legacy is to have a godly relationship with the God that seeks you, who is the perfect Father, who wants to show you His goodness, His compassion, His kindness, and His justice. Okay? So, go ahead. Any Look at those little notes we made together. Okay. Um, well, one of the questions was, if you could tell a new parent only one thing, what would it be? Yeah. And so, that's what you said. And um, along with that, um, the relationship with the Lord is primary. And then having a relationship with your spouse that um, you are together pursuing Christ. Um, and, you know, uh, you can't, and I think Desi started the day by saying this, but you can't um, expect your kids to walk with the Lord if they aren't seeing you walk with the Lord. Isn't and, that disappointing? I mean, honestly, you go, I, I, I came all this way and showered <laughs> early this morning for that. The <laughs> wife is going to tell us, walk with the Lord, and your kids are going to walk with the Lord if you don't walk with the Lord. But honestly, if anybody tells you anything else... There isn't, a, there's not six things to do to have your kids yeah. be faithful in their relationship. Now, let's unpack what walk with the Lord means, you know, because this is a, it was so sweet. It blessed me to see a couple of friends that I've made in Fort Worth uh, that, that we've talked to already over there that just came over here to be with us this morning. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I got the question when I was over there, and it relates to this, which is, Todd, this starting a new work is a, a lot of work. And it is, if you were here in the early days of Watermark, and they said, what if this is not the best situation for your children? What if, what if we think that this might be not good for our kids? And my response to them really fits into this legacy thing. I said, let me just tell you, first of all, the best way to ensure that your kids abandon the God of their youth or, or the God that you want them to know is to attend a church that you secretly wish you didn't want to go to because they won't go to it. They're just waiting to break free when they're 18 and move on. And so if you, I mean, they, they, they won't just think the emperor has new clothes. They'll know he's naked and they're ready to bail and they're ready for their nihilistic, atheistic, pluralistic professor to tell them why they shouldn't believe it. And they're ready to find life somewhere because life wasn't found in that church that didn't give you and lead you to life in all its fullness. Okay? Now again, don't think place, think people when you think church. But I, I said is that really what you need to know is the best thing you can do for your kids is not put them in a great children's building. My kids are not going to get to experience that building. You know that? Not a single one of my kids will benefit from our children's building at Watermark. My kids will have been churched in chem labs, libraries, hotel rooms, um, closets, and hallways. That's where my kids grew up. And I want to tell you something. They have been exceedingly blessed because it has nothing to do 
with those other things. It has to do with people that were passionate about following Jesus all around them. And, and, and I will say, you need to go where you know that you're going to be alive for Christ, be in community of people that spur you on, no matter what you think it does for your children. That is the thing to do for your kids. All right? I mean, some of you guys have been through those 10 years with me. Amen? Okay, well, one person agrees. The rest of you guys <laughs> wish you stayed over there at Park City's Press, but we're glad you're here. So, uh, uh, anything on that, sweetie? Um, I just, you know, I think that, you, you know, when you talk about, uh, well, one of the things that crossed my mind as I was driving my kids to school this week is that, um, you know, your uh, life just deals you opportunity to disciple your kids. You don't have to look for ways to disciple your kids. Things just come across your path. And um, just the, and letting them watch you handle different things, um, the way you serve people, the way you, um, the way you serve the community around you, the way you love the lost. Um, one of the things that we've done as a family is we mentor a, a young man that we uh, were connected with through Mercy Street. Uh, he's now living a little closer to us, but. Um, when we when we started to mentor him, we told our kids, Dad and I aren't his mentors. We are his mentors. And so they've had the opportunity to see um, the way he lives, and they've been able to model. I mean, as we model for our kids, they're, you know, doing their best to model what that looks, what walking with the Lord looks like for him. And um, so it's been fun for us to even watch our kids do that. This gets, this gets to really a verse I want to share with you. So, so it's interesting. You guys might know, and this is a verse that we use sometimes just to help our kids. We try not to tell our kids, you know, what movies they can and can't watch. We ask them. We, we give them resources. We point them to resources that allow them to get some idea of what's in that particular movie's content. And then we just have them run that through a few grids. One of them is the Philippians 4.8 grid. Philippians 4.8 says... Whatever is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's anything excellent and worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Okay? So, um, so we also had them memorize when, um, you know, probably what, about seven or eight years old, start memorizing Psalm 101? Yeah, yes. And and I'll tell you why I was going to stay on the same topic just for a second, uh, about, about not just scripture memory, but... But to Alex's point, okay? Now look, if, P, if kids... No, go back, if you would. I'm sorry, Christy, but go back. If they are to let their mind dwell in what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and good, anything excellent and worthy of praise, I mean, even in an obsessed TV culture where kids watch a lot of TV, guess what the one thing is that they watch more than TV? Commercials. You. You, and so you've got to ask yourself: um, When my kids look at me, do they see true? Do they see excellent? Do they see worthy of praise? Do they see honorable? Because Philippians four eight is not just what they're going to dwell on who you are. Your kids are not going to rise above who you are apart from God and His grace intervening. Maybe through Young Life, maybe through Campus Crusade, maybe through church, maybe through a buddy. I mean, but I wouldn't personally, if I'm looking to leave a legacy, I'm not just praying, you know, for Kyle Kegler to show up at Lake Highlands Young Life. I'm going to say, 
whatever they get from Ginger Lord or Kyle Kegler, they're going to get first and foremost from me, and they're going to recognize that in Kyle Kegler. And so let me just say again, okay, when you ask your kids, what do you watch in the movie? How do they watch you love your spouse? The second thing that, that I, I thought she was going to share related to loving Christ is you've got to, you're, you're, the second best thing you do for your kid is to love your spouse. I, I hear this a lot from dads especially, who when relationships are breaking down between them and the mom, they say, look, I, I, all right, I failed as a husband. I'm going to be the world's best dad. And I wanted to say, can I just tell you something? Bro, if you fail as a husband, it's impossible for you to be the world's best dad. Because you're, I'm just telling you, you cannot be a dad that does great with a child when you, when you model what is not true and honorable and right and pure with mama. And that's a hard teaching. But I, 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 and, and I can talk all day long about grace and God covering up a multitude of sins, but sometimes we do that to the exclusion of speaking about truth. And so here's, here's the great thing is guess what you need to do to make this relationship work? Guess what the number one thing you've got to do to make this relationship work? It's the exact same thing you've got to do to bless your kids. And that's to seek Jesus with all your heart and, and, and to love as he loved and to live as he lived and do as he did. And then this thing is going to go, baby. I will tell you that there is no such thing as a marital problem. It is always a manifestation of a spiritual problem. Always. And, and so, you know, go ahead. Oh, we, we spend a lot of time. I say this, almost, I feel like I say this anytime we talk about pretty much anything. Um, we spend a lot of time working on our marriage. It's probably what takes up the mo- majority of yeah. our, the time that we have together is just, trying to come back together, um, working through conflict, uh, realizing that we've got to be on the same page before we can parent our kids yeah. properly. Yeah, well, sometimes we fight just to make up, but yeah, we fight. <laughs> um, it's Garth Brooks reference, country music. Let's make its way in here. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, okay, so, so there you go. So let me just take you back to Philippians 4.8. Now watch, I have quoted Philippians 4.8 hundreds of times in my life. But I, I got to be honest, I've also quoted Philippians 4, 9. But like, any, like a bozo, I have not put the two together. And so we're talking about legacy, right? Well, apparently we're both doing that. All right, so, so watch this. Let me just read the context. This is not a grid to run through TV viewing content or movies. Whatever is uh, true and whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is ever of good repute, if there's any excellence and anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Now watch what verse 9 says. It's talking about a legacy. I think what Paul's doing in Philippians 4.8 is what he did in 1 Corinthians 11.1, where he says, imitate me as I imitated Jesus Christ. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. You know what Paul's got in mind? Hey kids, it's not do right, do this. It is, hey, the truth that you've seen me respond to in my relationship with Christ, the way you've seen me live with integrity, the honorable life that I have lived, the purity with which I've responded to Jesus Christ, the rightness of living that comes as you abide with Jesus Christ, the the, the excellence as I live to the glory of God, that which is worthy of praise that you've seen in me. That you've learned. Practice these things. And then what I've experienced, which is joy and abundant provision and, and, and fullness and a legacy that lives on thousands of years later, it'll be with you. 
And so here's what I want to just really challenge you with. And you think about your legacy, man. Don't put Philippians 4.8 just on your television, on your blockbuster card. Put it, put it on your mirror. And ask yourself, how have I done today? Um, I was talking to a dad this week. And, uh, and he was sharing with me that his daughter, who he thinks was about to make a compromising decision. And she finally said to him, will you do it? And he goes, oh, really? Well, where does your dad do it? And she goes, A, B, C. Where you round the edges, where you rationalize and you justify. And you're telling me I can't do that? I'm obeying the spirit of the law just like you do. And so the legacy went. He didn't like to see it in his kid, but he had to look in that mirror and go, oh, wow, this is a much different conversation than what I thought I was having as a parent. And so your kids, gang, are going to learn what they learn from you. And we, we, we know that, right? But we'd be doing you a major disservice. So let me just uh, go on to this. Why it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we'd be crazy if we didn't share this with you. I'll let my wife um, read this. You have Deuteronomy 6 right there, sweet. There it is. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh. All right, hang on. O oh, Israel... You should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So basically it's just saying the way you teach your kids how to walk with God is by walking with God. Morning, mid-morning, lunch, mid-afternoon, afternoon, evening, and before you go to bed. And so that's how you leave a legacy. There's no downtime. Is you abide with Christ. I mean, you know, that, that is the thing I would say. You know, I mean, gang... Um, the myth of quality time has destroyed a lot of relationships. There is no such thing as, as quality time separated from quantity time. And, and you've got to realize that a lot of your teaching is never done in the family devotionals. Most of our discipleship doesn't happen in our family devotional time. We have it. We talk about God's Word specifically. But most of what I am creating in my children comes in the way that I live. Um, this is why it says in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7, um, it, it says, a righteous man who walks. Where did you see that idea before? In Deuteronomy 6. A righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. It doesn't say a righteous man who teaches his kids to read good books, watch good movies, go to good churches, who tells them about the importance of Bible study, how blessed are his sons after him. And uh, in fact, it gets harder for your kids to want to go hang out in that place that you say change your life if it doesn't change your life. And so not a lot of new information there. I love, um, I, I love, I love um, a paraphrase of this that I read in another translation. It says, God loyal people living honest lives make it much easier for their children. Isn't that great? I think that's the message. But God-loyal people living honest lives make it a lot easier for their kids. And, um, and I will tell you, if I've got anything that I, I, I am proud of, 
Okay? And I want to be like Paul. I want to boast of nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. But because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ and him crucified, my, my kids, my kids love Jesus. My, my kids love what the body of Christ is. They don't resent spiritual things. They want more of them. And that is the only legacy that I want to leave. Is that because of me, or at least not, uh, not in spite of me, <laughs> okay, is that they go, hey, I'm all in with Jesus. You know, when we asked our kids, one of the things we asked them, one of the things they love, and they say, we love our community of faith. And the reason they love it is they see it growing dad, helping dad, transforming dad, helping the marriage that they're going to live underneath, making their family a time of sweet joy. So One of the things that has been great, too, just because we've been here um, 10 years, um, is that our kids, no matter where Watermark was meeting, it really was about the people that, um, that they got to watch uh, here. And, you know, they could be bitter about what Todd does for a living, but they, it has been a joy to watch them get out of the car when we pull up um, you know, now it's here on this property, but they run to the building. Every one of them, even my sophomore in high school, in college, she runs into the building, not because she can't wait to get to the coffee bar, but because of the people that are people. here. Yeah. Because there, there is what should be in the scripture, the community of grace. So, so, so if the number one indicator of a child's future propensity, this is Deuteronomy, I mean, Proverbs 22, 6, right? Train up a child in the way he should go when he's old, he will not depart from it. That's a principle. It's not a, an absolute uh, guarantee, but it's a principle that's largely true, okay? But, but if that is the principle of truth, what do you think, according to sociologists that have studied this, that the leading indicator is of kids that are going to be incarcerated? The number one predictor over the future incarceration of children is... Was that mother or father incarcerated? And there's a legacy that continues. That's part of the young man that I'm spending time with. And I've talked to him about his legacy. His daddy's been in jail. Brother. His brother's already been in jail. And I said, bro, you've got to choose which way you're going to go. I'm just going to let you know. you know. And I'm here to interrupt. And I'm here to tell you that, that this thing can change. But it's not going to change. Uh, for any other reason, then you learn to love what is right and true and pure and holy. And I'm going to try and model that for you. And I'm going to tell you that that thing is not a thing, it's a person. Unless you have a relationship with him, you got trouble. And so that's the conversations we're having. I mean, I'm, I'm literally trying to save his life. I really believe that's what's going on. I'm trying to save his life because this kid is destined for prison. All right? And you go, wow, this sweet little boy? Yes, just like his brother, who's six years older, has already beat him there. All right? So uh, this ought to sober you and overwhelm you in big, big ways. Let me just show you, if you're not already completely convicted and want to go home and cry, um, <laughs> just a biblical example of this. In First Kings, okay, there's a guy named Jeroboam. And I'm just going to overwhelm you with Scripture here. But this is the story of Jeroboam. Jeroboam was a, a guy who lived in the north. Um, he was a contemporary of Rehoboam, which if you know your Bible, Rehoboam was Solomon's son, or you know was David's son. David, as godly as he was, had a dysfunctional home. And so you can be a man after God's own heart, and part of what made David a man after God's own heart is not that he was perfect, but that he hated his sin. But I want to tell you what, even when you're David, who has a heart after God, who hates his sin, 
there is going to be consequences and you're going to reap what you sow. People ask me all the time, well, why'd God let guys sleep around the Old Testament? You know, just hoping that maybe that, you know, we can <laughs> pull that back up to today's times. And, um, and, and part of me wants to go, yeah, it would have been great to have been a king, you know, 800 BC. But here's the deal. There's not a single example in scripture of a guy that had multiple wives that it worked out well for him. There's not one. Now, did God choose not to just strike him with a lightning the second they stepped outside their castle? Sure, it's, he didn't have to because there was storms in the castle and all around him. It never led to blessing. There's not one time when we have deviated from the one man, one woman ideal in Genesis 2 that there hasn't been tremendous consequences, including in the life of David. And so David's grandson, Rehoboam, was an idiot is the best way to say it, and uh, didn't listen to wisdom. His father, who was full with wisdom, didn't listen to his own wisdom and became an idiot. And so Rehoboam was going to have some of his way and didn't listen to the gods of his fathers when they did listen to him. And so what happened is it opened up an opportunity for another guy, Jeroboam, to come on the scene and say, hey, don't follow that lineage. Don't follow that monarchy. Let's start our own. And so what Jeroboam did is he convinced the 10 tribes in northern Israel to come and make him their king. And, uh, and so from that point, okay, in biblical history, from 931 BC on, you have what's called a divided Israel, if you want to read your Bible and understand it. And so you've got Judah and Benjamin, the two tribes of the south, and you've got 10 tribes of the north that are following Jeroboam, whereas the other ones stay a part of the Davidic dynasty, which God had intended to bring his lineage of grace through. Why do I say all that? Well, one of the things that Jeroboam did, in order to get the people from going back down to Jerusalem for the festivals and to worship at the temple, is he said, we've got to come up with a new festival system, we've got to come up with a new temple. And so he created a new religion, in effect. And he built altars, one in Bethel and one in Dan, to make it easy for the people. He gave the people what they wanted instead of calling them what God wanted. And so Jeroboam was the first of seven different dynasties. You guys know what a dynasty is. There's one dynasty in the south. It's always from the, the lineage of David. But in the north... There were seven different ones that uh, a family line was extinguished by God and another family popped up and said, we'll be kings for a few generations and they were killed and some other kings because God never intended for that, that line to reign. He never intended for them to even be there. All that to say is Jeroboam had quite the impact. So I'm just going to show you a little bit about legacy. Okay, Remember, Jeroboam himself was only around for two or three generations. But nobody broke the chain. Nobody ever broke the chain. There were 20 different kings, seven different families. None of them ever sought God. Watch this. 1 Kings 15, 26. He, Nadab, Jeroboam's son, did evil on the side of the Lord. He walked in the way of his father. Uh, look at verse 30. And because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned, and which he made Israel sin, because of the provocation with which he provoked the Lord of God of Israel to anger, it says, uh, God eliminated him it goes to chapter 15 verse 33 it says then in the third year of asa king of judah basha the son of ahijah became king over all israel he did evil in the sight of the lord and he walked in the way of jeroboam and the sins which he made israel sin you get to 16 2 and you're going to see the same thing with another king 16 7 just scroll through these i want you to see all the bold places you've walked in the way of jeroboam go to the next slide 
uh, a whole other king. You're like the house of Jeroboam because of the sins which he sinned, doing evil in the sight of the Lord, walking like Jeroboam. For he walked in all the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and his sins. It continues. If I could go through this for a long time, you go read First and Second Kings, and you're going to see that this one guy who said we're going to leave the ways of God and do the ways of Jeroboam, and then nobody stepped up and said, no, we're going to worship God for who he is. And it, it led from 931 B.C. to 200 years later to 722 B.C. to the northern kingdoms all being devastated, raped and pillaged and destroyed. Okay, and so all I'm, what do I show you that for? Legacy matters. Now, I want to encourage you, okay, that again, you can break whatever legacy you come from and you can start a legacy that is a blessing for generations to come. One of, my, one of the things that I always talk about when I talk about legacy, I'll do this quickly and then we'll move to some of these Q&A. Um, but Alex, just do this. I want you to read this. This is a deal that has been around for a long time. Um, when, when I talk about Philippians 4.8 being a verse that you put on your mirror, not on your movie viewing screen, there's a guy named Edgar Guest who is one of my favorite writers and poets that was out there. And this is one of his poems that you just need to remember as you talk to your kids and do family devotionals. And it goes with Deuteronomy 6, it goes with Proverbs chapter 20, and it goes with Jeroboam. So listen to it. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the, tell the way. The eyes a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Find counsel is confusing, but examples always clear. Yeah. And the best of all the preachers are the men who live their creeds, for to see good put in action is what everybody needs. I soon can learn to do it, if you let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lecture you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lessons by observing what you do. For I might misunderstand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. So that goes on, but there's the deal. So, hey, don't, a lot of us, when we think of legacy, we think, I've got to get my kids to do good or I won't have a good legacy. And that is backwards thinking. What you've got to say is, hey, what that child does with the truth that I sow into them, what that soil does is that soil's business. My job is to sow into that soil truth and love and honor and righteousness and steadfastness and humility, and Christ. And pray for the soil. And as, as much as we've been passionate about doing that, we have done it imperfectly. And so one of the things that we, I think, model for our kids is going to them in those situations and asking for forgiveness. Yeah, yeah there's times, and this is what I would tell you, part of my legacy, you know, is, is imperfection. Uh, not being slow to anger. And... Um, and, and having a tone that's just not kind. You know, the, you know what the verse is that I have made my kids quote and memorize and rememorize more than any other? It's Proverbs 3, 3, and 4. And it says this, Do not let kindness or truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. For then you will find favor and good repute in the sight of men. Do you know why that verse is so repeated in our home? Because this big lug of soil, both of us, and this little clot of dirt, this petite, cute little <laughs> clot of dirt, we, we've got to have that. 
Okay, my, my, when I, I, I let kindness and truth leave me. And when I do, I don't find favor and good repute with my wife or with my kids. Even just a moment, okay? My dad, my dad had what I would call 30-minute flares, and they were devastating. All right? I might have 30-second or 3-second flares, but they are just as devastating. And so I brought it back a generation, but I want to tell you what, I see it live in the next generation. And, I, I, and so when I do it, I mean, I, I'm going to my kids, and I don't ever say, don't do what I say, do what I, I mean, don't do what I do, do what I say. I look at them, I say, let me tell you what I just did and how awful it was. And I need to ask your forgiveness and seek to restore the relationship that in that moment I was less than what Christ wanted me to be. And man, one of the ways you can learn from people is you can learn from what's great and you can learn from what's not great. And that was not great. So as much as you hated that, you should hate it because it's not of Christ. And, and, and learn from me. You don't want to be that, that daddy that, that does that. And it's, it's small stuff for me, you know? But, but there are moments that uh, in frustration, I raise my voice, and we go through this all the time. You know, my voice is more powerful than hers, and so when she elevates it a little bit, she's catching just up to where mine is. I'm already just as a natural force of speaking, almost yelling. So when I raise my voice at all, it really is intimidating. And I, I go, I'm not yelling. You haven't heard yelling. All right. I'll, you want to hear yelling? I'll give you yelling. All right. And they go, well, you're yelling right now. I go, no, this is not yelling. And then we'll have an argument about whether yelling is yelling or not. And, um, and so uh, it's crazy. But, but when I do that, okay, that's when I just got to, you know, just go, hey, wait a minute. Stop. Time out. True, honorable, right, pure, lovely, kindness and truth. And I, I, I get to model, you know, the one ministry that I do that Christ never did, which is, will you forgive me? You know, that was not a, that was, that's why Christ came. That's why we worship God, not your daddy, you know? So one of the questions we asked our kids is, um, just in light of that, uh, what's something you wish your parents did less of? And that was, and actually about six months ago, I did something, uh, where I was speaking somewhere and same question, same answers. It was tone, raising your voice, um, that kid's grounded, by the way, when he put that down there. <laughs> Just can't write that stuff down. It's like the mafia. We whisper our family secrets yeah. here. So our kids, I mean, they, they, do, uh, they do hear our tone, and they do call us out on it. And, and, and we want them to. We invite that in, in an appropriate, respectful way, you know. But we, I want to tell you, we model this. So you don't have to be a perfect parent. But when you're imperfect, do the perfect thing. Humble yourself, ask for forgiveness, repent, make amends, model for them transformation. Okay? Uh, great. So one of the things that I would just say in terms of legacy, one of the places to go that really is good for you to do this, and I'll put them up very quickly. I, I think I did. I know I did. There, there's a series I did called An Arrow and His Warriors, where I, I took a lot of this uh, well, all the stuff I would share in this next little bit with you from. But in Psalm 127, it, it, it just says this. And I, it, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the watchman guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And, and so let me just say this. The, the Lord's got to be the one that builds the house. We've we got to believe if we try and build it apart from the Lord, it's never going to work. Secondly, it doesn't mean that we... Trust that God's going to do it. You've got to build the house. 
Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. It doesn't mean you don't try and do any building. You do. You build. Be intentional. Do something. Do anything. And, and you'll be ahead of the game. But you must believe if you try and do it apart from God, it will fail. Okay? It's vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. For the Lord gives to his beloved even in their sleep. And then in verse 4, it changes almost entirely about what the psalm's talking about. But it really doesn't. It goes together. It says, Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. Watch this. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies at the city gate. So, so all you got to do, when you read the Bible sometimes, it just said children are like what? Like arrows. So I literally, I've got a, I've got a distribution list in my computer called arrows and when i want to send a letter to them i'm a note to them all i mean that's one of the ways i do it i I, because they're my arrows okay so all i did is i sat down one day and i go okay what do i know about arrows and so i'm just gonna throw for and by the way this is all online it's all free i think i did this i I, were we in uh was that i don't know if it was after 2007 or not so whether it's on video or not i know it's at least on audio but, um, but just, let's just run through a few of the observations that I made there. An arrow by itself is useless or helpless, right? Arrows don't do jack unless the warrior does something with them. Now, that arrow will grow up itself to a warrior that can be devastating, but while the, an arrow is helpless, and so you, that, that, that arrow is sitting there going, would you use me? Would you make me something great? And that means you've got to be intentional with the arrow. And what so many parents do is they sit there and they, they go, my arrow's been sitting here for 13 years and I've never had a plan. And that arrow, I'm going to tell you, is hurting. Because that arrow was meant to be used for something great. Here's another, just some, I, I teach on that. Another, an arrow is going to go where you aim it. That's what arrows do. Even if you don't aim it intentionally, it's going to go where I, where I aim it. And so, you know, if you're, if you're just doing something not intentionally, you're intentionally doing something. You're just letting it go wherever it goes. And, you know, there's a great story about Charles Manson. Manson, when he was being tried for the Helter Skelter murders, murders they looked at this sociopath. I mean, if you got to know Manson, he was, he was just a creep if you, you know, um, study the brother at all. And, and they, they, they go, how did you, this little puny, scrawny uh, sociopath, get kids of suburban, successful families that were well-funded, that were, um, had every opportunity in the world. They were, they were L.A. families. How did you get these kids to murder for you? To, to prostrate uh, pro- themselves before you? And, and you know what he said? Manson, this crazy guy, looked there on that stand, and he answered, he just said this. He goes, they were your children. And you turned them out. So I took them in. And I mean, what he basically said is, Hey, man, you're, you're the ones that didn't want these arrows. I just went around and collected them, and I put them on my bow, and I was a sociopath. <coughs> but an arrow's going to go where you aim it. <coughs> Scroll to the next one for me. An arrow can provide life, food, protection, blessing, or great pain and destruction. Let me just read you a few Proverbs that go underneath that. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, yeah, if you got some water. Thanks, Mel. I got that allergy stuff working. Watch this. Proverbs uh, 10.1. Uh, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man is a grief to a mother. Uh, you know, this does matter. This is your future habit. You are raising your caregivers. You know that? 
That, that you're raising your caregivers. You are raising the leaders of the next generation. Um, you know, uh, go to the next one, 15, 20. A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. You'll just see there's an overwhelming number of these in Proverbs if you just go through it. It's trying to tell you something. Foolish son's a grief to his father and bitterness to him who bore her. Uh, next one. A foolish son's destruction to his father and contentions of a wife are constant dripping. Why? Here's what I would tell guys. Hey, you know that wife that you can't stand that you want to divorce? Guess what? You're developing a son that is going to be just as offensive to you and a destruction to you. It parallels those two. Guys that want to, and that's why you see so many parents divorced in relationship from their kids because it's a spiritual problem. And the legacy, we're like, why'd this happen? This kid, I'll raise this kid to love me. That kid's going to know you and they're going to destroy you and break your heart. There is no pain like the pain of a godless child. There's just none. And I will tell you, I've watched Jim and Judy suffer because of one of their children. And I will also tell you that 3 John verse 4 is true which says this, I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. And so what you do matters, okay? So arrows can be a source of life, right? You can kill things that you want to, you know, you kill enemies with them. You can kill deer with them so you can eat. And it can also be a source of tremendous destruction. And you guys get to decide those things. Uh, uh, Next one, observation error. I think I got two or three more I'll just give to you because as you talk about legacy, you know, just know this. What do we do whenever there's a shooting? You guys remember that deal up there at uh, Empire State Building recently? Um, and there was 12 people that were shot when that one guy went in to kill somebody he used to work with. And there were 12 citizens that were shot. All 12 of them, it turns out, were shot by cops that were coming in to rescue them from the guy that was doing the shooting. Okay? Um, now, on their benefit, maybe they, they would have all been murdered by the guy. None of them died. But they were all hit. And, and they went back and they traced every bullet to what gun it came from. And, and I'm going to let you know something. These arrows are going to be traced back to you. And you are responsible for your arrows. God, they're not your children. What, what are children? They are a gift from the Lord. You are caretakers and stewards. Some of you guys got to carry them as a steward in your stomach for six months. And, and God didn't have them reach term. But I pray you were a good steward of the way you cared for your body the best you could before that miscarriage came. And I believe you'll hold those kids one day. Some of you guys are good stewards of babies until they were two and three years and they died of awful, tragic things. And I pray you were a good steward those two or three years. You know, so far I've been a good steward, I I hope, of one for 19, one for 17, one for 16, one for... uh, 14. 14, 13, and and 8. You know? 12. 12. And 8. You know? And, uh, and, and so that's my job. And listen, God doesn't promise them to me forever. And I shouldn't treat them like they're mine. I'm really in his army. And I am a steward of his weapons. But he's going to trace those bullets that he issued to me back to me. And they're my responsibility. Not Ginger's. Not Kyle's. Not Watermark's. Okay? Uh, I think one more and then I'll, I'll move on with this idea. A warrior who leaves his arrows unattended is inviting destruction upon himself and his people. And, uh, and I, that's why we're just saying, gang, you can do this. You can do it. A couple of resources that are fun for you, and then we'll, we'll, we'll answer the questions and, and be done. Um, some of the questions, not all of them. But uh, I, I, can I just encourage you to, um, I mean, I do. I, we read our Bible. One of the things that we try and do 
is we have lots of kind of informal devotionals in our family all the time. Most of our teaching is very informal as we're going along the way. When there's a news story or something, I go, hey, everybody, sit down. Watch this. Here's some truth for you. Okay? Hey, what scripture informs that lie we just saw in that movie? Okay, so even when we watch a movie sometimes with a family, and even a Disney movie, I might say we're going to play a game. It's called Spot the Lie. So where, where's the lie in that movie? In most Disney movies, the lie is that the princess always gets her prince, or that good always wins at the end of every story. And I just, I say, how is that true? How is that false? And I, and I bring in the Bible and the story of redemption there, and good will eventually win. But sometimes you don't live to see the good win. And I tell them about that, to prepare themselves for that. And, and so we do a lot of different creative um, family-type devotionals, but here's some just simple stuff. I, I, there's, a, there's a resource that came out a couple years ago written by Sally Lloyd-Jones. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. I could not recommend it more highly. It's not actually a Bible. It's, it's stories of the Bible that tell the story of Jesus from beginning to end and God's secret rescue plan and, who is, uh, and, and his Operation No More Tears. And I would encourage you to read it because it will bless your little heart. It is so tender and so sweet. But the Jesus Storybook Bible um, worth your 12 bucks. I'll tell you another resource that is outstanding. I, I, I'm a huge VeggieTales fan. I'm sure you are too. Um, you know, uh, VeggieTales isn't what it used to be because the guys that began to make it uh, had to sell it because of some business things they got involved in that, that got away from them. But Phil Vischer, who was one of the originators of VeggieTales, has come out with something the last few months that is as good as anything I've ever seen. And it's called What's in the Bible? Okay? What's in the Bible? I think he's just done with the Old Testament. And I want to tell you, I'll, I'll sell them for you. I mean, I'm, they're, they're nine bucks a DVD, and I would just get one and, and watch it and watch it and watch it until they, they were begging for number two, okay? And let them learn it. You, you want to learn yourself stuff that most Christians don't know to this day about how the Bible's put together, what's in each book, and why it's there, and it answers big questions like, how is the Bible put together? How do we know it's true? Why are there so many crazy laws in the Old Testament that we don't have to do today that we're supposed to do back then, and yet we're still not supposed to do some of the things the Bible said not to do back then? And it answers them all in a way that a a five-year-old can get their arms around and a 50-year-old needs to be convinced of. So what's in the Bible by Phil Vischer? Great resource, great family night. I just gave you your next... 20 family movie nights right there, which was worth the price of admission alone right there, frankly, right? What DVD should we watch? Slap one of those in, all right? Yeah, it's funny because when we, whenever we are getting in the car, which seems like a lot, Todd always has a stash of something that is going to be beneficial for our kids. And so they start with, oh, no, because he'll, he'll say, hey, you want to watch a movie? And that never means like... Uh, you know, never means a Disney movie or uh, whatever the kids want to watch. It always means. It doesn't mean these. initially. Eventually, we you know we let them watch, you know whatever they're watching. But but I just say, hey, watch this thirty minutes with me. Let's talk about it. And they end up absolutely loving them. And again, same thing. All age. They're so great for all ages. Yeah. And I pause them. I don't watch. And that's the other thing. I don't let them watch. I go, all right, quiz. <laughs> right. And by the way, they're all about the next gas stop. All right. This is for an extra snack. And by the way, I, one of the things that we do, we are shameless in motivating our kids. You know, Alex talked about some scripture we had them memorize uh, as early in their lives. Um, 
you know, we, uh, I would offer them, I'd say, hey, you guys need some spending money? Memorize this. And, and you can buy them off for a whole lot less when they're little and get them to sign contractual agreements when they're little. That, that, uh, but as they get older, I try and motivate them. I, I, I sat down. Alex just pulled that out. I, I forgot all about that. I, I sat down. I, I've got three boys and three girls in my family. And so I'm responsible for raising godly men and godly women. And so I started, what is a godly man? What is a godly woman, woman like? And so I, I sat down one day and I go, okay, if I'm going to create one of these things, what's that thing look like when it's created? And so I, I go ahead. Um, well, I was going to tell you a quick story about it, though, because he, we have been shameless in motivating our kids. And um, one of the things that we have done is this um, deal he's put together, I think you said it has, what, 60 verses? Yeah. About 60 verses on it. And um, he said, I will pay you to memorize every verse, memorize each um, category. And um, last Christmas, we had a young man staying at our house over the Christmas holiday. He said was a senior in high school. And so Todd made the same offer to this young man. We who, talked, because I was talking about with my boys. I said, hey, guys, how are you doing your sheet? Uh, and he goes, what's she talking about? So I gave him a copy of the sheet, which um, if you want to know what I've used, I, I encourage you to personalize it, make it your own. If this is helpful to you, I'd love to share it with you. We have um, on uh, watermark.org blogs, and then my blog is Words from Wags. And so this sheet is on there. You can get it. You can print it out. It's nice and formatted for you. And so there's what a godly woman is and what a godly man is. And, and why I chose those things is not fully developed there, but you can see they're a little different and, and somewhat the same. But anyway, so he was asking about that. So I said to him, well, I'll give you the same deal. Yeah, so he offered the same deal, which was, I think, $100. For he, him, yeah. For $100 for him to memorize this sheet. Well, fast forward um, to the summer. We'd forgotten. We even talked to the boy about it. Mm. We saw him at Kanakuk, and he couldn't wait to tell Todd <laughs> that he had memorized the entire thing, all 60 verses. So he's a senior in high school trying to get into college. And yeah, when I told him, I said, hey, bro, you memorize it. I go, I'll give you a, a, a couple hundred dollars scholarship, you know, for this or that or whatever. And so, yeah, we did. And, I, I, and so I, I, go, I go, you know it? All of it? He goes, yeah. I said, so I asked him a few of them. He goes, boom. I, asked him, I said, so what's that one? He goes, boom. And, uh, and so, all my kids were in the car kind of going, oh, my goodness. I mean, they had the biggest eyes. And Todd had a big, fat wad of cash. And he handed it to this young man. And our kids just sat there like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, I counted it out in front of them, too. I go. <laughs> so it was awesome. So one of the things, so, yeah. yeah. So anyway, so legacy. So all right, um, let, let's just wrap this up because I think you guys have something. You have, you have 25 minutes left in your time together. But let's, a few of the questions that they wanted us to make sure we touch. I hope that helps you. You know, we've given you time to give you some specific illustrations. Be intentional. I sat down. I go, I want to be intentional. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 16, act like men. And you want to, you want to create silence in a room of men? Go this. What's a man act like? And I thought, my kids will never be in a room, ever, when somebody says, what's a man act like? They'll go. And they'll have a biblically informed idea of what a man acts like. That's my job. Okay. And, and you've got a young man growing up in your house, so you, you know, you'll come up with something better than this. But, but, but just come up. Be intentional. Don't be like my buddy who goes, my arrows are sitting there for 13 years, and I have not been ill-intentional with them. It just happens. If you don't mean to do something, something will happen, and it will not be what you want. 
legacies. I, I, I say this a lot. Extraordinary kids, and we've, I don't believe extraordinary kids come from ordinary homes. There are outliers and exceptions, but as a rule, extraordinary kids do not come from ordinary homes. You're going to find an intentional mom or dad or something along the way. Something happened. I'll never forget, a couple of years ago, I was at the Right to Life luncheon, and um, I, I got a chance to visit with uh, Tebow's mom and dad. And, uh, and, um, and I, I will tell you, as soon as I met Tim Tebow's father, I go, I get it. I get it. I know now why Tim Tebow is Tim Tebow. Because that brother's dad was an on-purpose dad. Okay? Uh, and and that, that, that mother, um, you know, she, she stood up there and she said, Oh, I, when Timmy was little, she said, I would just make up songs. And we memorized scripture after scripture. And she just sat right there and she just said, And I can't sing. And she was right. She could not sing. <laughs> and, and, and she goes, We just take a verse. And so you grab whatever verse. And she said, I just sit there and go, Timmy, we're going to memorize this. And I'd look at the verse and I'd just make up the tune as I sang along. And then he'd sing it back to me in that same tune, and it was all over the place. But he now has made, goes, this is our song for Galatians 2.20. And it, it was the most off-tune, untune-like song I'd ever heard. But young Timmy knew it. And I want to tell you something. I just go, okay, that's the legacy of the Tebos. And that boy didn't just happen. Okay? And what I want to tell you is arrows that fly right there and hit the target, that doesn't just happen. Now, a good warrior, you don't turn into Robin Hood the first time you pick up a bow. you got to work. And, and, and so many of us get frustrated at the arrows. So what's the old joke? Any of you guys in here, golfers, right? And people always ask, you getting new, new clubs? And, and, and what guys always say when they don't want to buy new equipment, and they should say is go, hey, I realize that my problem is not the arrows, it's the Indian. In other words, I don't need to buy the latest, greatest you know, set of tideless irons. I don't need the new tailor-made driver because the same guy is going to be holding it. And how many of us wonder why our kids aren't like those kids? And I would say because the same warrior is holding your kids. The greatest thing you can do to leave a godly legacy is to get discipled, get yourself serious with Jesus, get in community, ingest God's Word, learn the Jesus Storybook Bible, memorize the man sheet yourself, love your wife, love your husband, and, uh, and you'll be shocked at what happens to your arrows. Okay? Let's, the, the, the very first question, how about this? On legacy, the very first question they said people would ask about legacy is, how do you talk to your kids about sex? I go, oh. I, I laugh because every time I do a Q&A, they always start with how far is too far, and they end with predestination and free will. Every time I've ever done one. And with, with kids. And so here we are doing the thing about legacy, and they go, how do you talk to your kids about sex? And so, um, sweetie? <laughs> yeah, so one of the, I mean, we've, we talk to them as it's appropriate all through their, you know, through their young years and as they are older. Um, we've talked more in depth and we've not given them more answers than really what they're asking for. Um, we've been very, um, uh, pointed in terminology when it's appropriate. Yeah. We've never called it a ding-a-ling or a, a <laughs> pistol, you know, all right, we're not afraid. All right. 
Uh, However, there are lots of slang. Oh yeah, we, they know the else. slang. All right, um, and we, but we've always been unafraid of the anatomical terms. Okay, and we tell them as age appropriate. But we've been really focused on talking about sex, where sex is right, in the context of marriage. And then um, we've really focused on purity up to that point. Yeah, and always, listen, we never talk about sex without talking about God. Ever. And I always, I never talk about sex without using the word gift. Ever. The word bad in sex, I don't want that to be in my little girl's mind. Do you know how many marriages are suffering at Watermark because little girls grew up in homes where they were told, sex is bad, don't you do that, stay away from it. And then all of a sudden they get married, they go, come here, Psst. it's really okay. <laughs> and that little girl can't just flip that switch. Okay? And, and it, it brings all kinds of dysfunction. What I do, I talk about, we, so from the earliest days, when, when, and, you know, most times sex starts with where's ba- where do babies come from? Okay, and so there's a way to answer that in a very age-appropriate way. By the way, always make sure you understand the question and don't over-answer the question. The way you answer a question to a three-year-old is different than a 13-year-old. And don't think, oh gosh, here it comes. Well, you know, it just, just, you know, you got to learn. Here's, okay, what, what is semen? Semen is a seed. And so what happens, babies come from this. God gives the daddy a seed. And in a way... That, that is wonderful. God lets the daddy give the special seed to mommy. And mommy holds that seed and grows that seed and nurtures that seed. And God grows from that a beautiful human. And it is wonderful. And they're like, oh, great. And off they go. Now, there is no Santa Claus or Easter bunny in that. That is just true. Now, later, they find out that seed is semen, all right? And it comes from a ding-a-ling, all right? But... But, you know, uh, except you don't call it that, right? So, so you tell them, you just give them more information. And I don't ever give them that information without, hey, man, let me just say, first of all, sex is God's idea. It is a gift. It is wonderful. But I always do this, too. And I use, I've always used fire. I use a chainsaw sometimes. I go, let me ask you a question. Fire is wonderful, right? Because fire, we love. I build a fire if it gets below 70. I just love fires in my house, okay? And, and so we build fires all the time. I go, man, that fire, awesome. It warms our home. It gives it a cool glow. We all gather around it. We're here. I said, but what happens if I take that fire out of that fireplace and I put it right here? It destroys our home. You know what? That's just like sex. Sex is one of God's greatest gifts, man. You get to cuddle up around it. It It brings people together like nothing. It is awesome. And you need to know that. But boy, you get it out of where God wants it, and it destroys home like nothing else. We're not having the sex talk. Oh, yeah, we are right then. And I'm moving on. Okay? And so I want my kids to know I never talk about sex without talking about God. I never over answer a question. And, um, and, uh, and I always make sure that I, 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 I talk about it as a gift and that you got to use gifts well. So what do I mean by that? So, like, I just say, hey, chainsaw. If I give you a chainsaw and you were out there and it's a wonderful thing, right? And so you use that chainsaw for the reason I give it to you, you're going to really make firewood quickly. You're going to clean up wild brush quickly. But if you use that chainsaw as a toothpick or as a floss, it's not going to be a great gift. It's gonna, you're going to be mangled the rest of your life. And sex is like that. It's the most amazing thing that God gave us. But you got to use it the way he gave it to you.
And so I, mean, I just always grab metaphors. That's what I do. That's how, that's how we understand Jesus told stories. And you ought to do the same. And so you tell stories. You explain it in a way that's appropriate for the child. That, and Deuteronomy 6 says, you're supposed to do it in the morning, mid-morning, at noon, afternoon, and evening. And so I, I, I tell my wife, hey, listen, we've got a model for them. So, uh, okay, no, sorry. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, but that's how we handle the whole sex issue. Anything else? Oh, the pure. Yeah, tell about the purity I, stuff. Yeah. yeah. I, one of the things I love that we've done is when our girls have been thirteen, and we've really with Cooper, we did it when he was sixteen. Yeah. Is um, on their birthdays we've had, or on or around their birthdays, we've had them invite their friends friends over, um, and primarily it's been their small groups and their small group leaders. But we've also extended to, you know, some of the friends that they are in class with or do sports with. Many who are not is, believers. Right. Many who are not believers. And sometimes even the parents linger yeah. along. Um, and so we might serve them dinner. And then we have a little, we didn't really tell them this was happening at this birthday party. But um, we've had a little time when we spend talking about uh, now that you're 13, what does that mean? What are some things that you're going to face? And we've had this um, sheet that really we, we came together and put we put together um and we call it a purity pledge um yeah it's just a declaration that they want to make at that age we and we our kid when she said they don't know we're gonna do it the friends don't you know we don't announce that this is a purity our children party. know children their know kids yeah they've already they've already said man we're in this we want to do this and so they just they just say this they, they basically stand before their friends and say this is as a young woman this is the way I want to operate myself. And we give them a little sweet ring and all that different stuff. And then... And I was going to read, read it, maybe, if we Well, and then, and then what we do is we have another sheet that we put out there for the friends to sign if they want to. Yeah. And it's a pledge of the friends, not just how they'll live, but to my, our kids, but it's a, it's a pledge of friends that want to help them live that way, okay? And that they, that they then sign. And so then we run back in the house, uh, make a copy of it, and give it to all those kids to take with them when they leave so that, you know, 13-year-old girls or 16-year-old boys, they might pull that back out later. a year later or whenever and look over that and just go, wow, you know, Cooper said he wanted to stand for this. Um, I'm, I want to be in with that. So um, this is what Cooper said, and it might have changed a little from what the girls originally said. Um, it says, and he read this um, to his friends, uh, as a friend of God and a follower of Jesus Christ, I purpose to not to lean not on my own understanding, but to trust God's word and follow His ways. As a young man, blessed to be raised by parents who are friends, of, uh, excuse me, friends of God, followers of Jesus, and who love me, I purpose to bring them joy by imitating them as they imitate Christ. As a gift to myself, I choose to live a life of wisdom, humility, and purity. As a servant leader to my friends, I purpose in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity to show myself as an example worthy of following. As a man who's been chosen by Christ to serve him, I will not entangle myself in the affairs of everyday life so I might please the one who has enlisted me as a soldier. I will flee immorality and walk with integrity and live as if I hate the work of those who fall away. I will wear this ring in remembrance of my covenant of purity until such a time as this symbol be replaced by another covenant commitment before friends and God. And then, and as I read that, I'm sure you recognize lots of scripture there. Um, Proverbs 22.11 is written down here. First Timothy yeah, 4, just 12. different verses that are there. That might be something we can throw online if you want to, again, take it as a template. But again, all this is, is just, we have not been perfect by a long shot. Our kids have a lot of imperfection to overcome mm-hmm. with us. But I will tell you, by the grace of God, we have been intentional. 
And, um, and so I'll, I'll just give you one quick story about Allie, which is wonderful. And Allie is very unique amongst our kids. All our kids are different, which is one of the questions people want us to talk about. We, we know the strengths and weaknesses of each of our kids. Each of our kids really have almost a, um, you know, uh, I, I would say a, a, a dark side of their moon. There's a, there's a, a specific sin expression that is easier for them than others. Um, you know, we all are all over the map, but consistently this one struggles here, maybe laziness. This one here with their tongue, this one here with passivity, this one here with, I go right down the lines and I I just kind of know where their, their Achilles heel is. Okay. And we also have all their corresponding strengths that, that we know about those kids. And so we nurture those and celebrate those. And we warn them against the other and say, this is going to be something that is just an area of weakness that your nature carries with you, you know? It's just not... And, and so we, we talk about that with each one of them. But Allie, who is not... Um, Allie's very creative. Uh, isn't, God didn't make her school um, graded smart, you know, that our schools have a tendency to uh, have a certain kind of student who performs a certain way and gets honored a certain way. Well, Allie's very smart, but our society is not going to recognize that. Uh, the way that she has some of her struggles and differences. But Allie is so creative in so many things. And so she went early on. This was really great. She um, went to a party. It was a mixer. She's up at Oklahoma State her freshman year last year. And I share this story because I love seeing kids do this kind of stuff. And, um, and so she was up at Oklahoma State and she was going to a, a red a stop. It's called a stoplight mixer. Maybe some of you guys went to one. I never heard of this. But basically, you go to it and you were either green, yellow, or red. Green meant that you were unattached and available and were there, you know, to kind of, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm green. Uh, I don't know how far they took that, but you get the idea. Yellow was, it's complicated. Okay. And, and red was, I'm, I'm in a relationship and, you know, don't go there. And so she goes, and so she, she, she told me that. And, and I go, that's, that's, that's kind of creative. And then she paused and she goes, well, I go, well, what? She goes, aren't you going to ask me what I wore? And I go, yeah, yeah, what'd you wear? She goes, I wore white. I go, what do you mean? She goes, I wore white. She goes, I'm not, she goes, dad, the first mark of a godly woman is seek the Lord, you know, never buy the lie that anyone or anything other than Jesus Christ can satisfy you. So I'm not desperate for a guy to like me. I'm not like I'm out there looking for a relationship. It's not complicated for me and I'm not already taken. I'm just a girl that wants to live. It was awesome. And, uh, and she just said, so I go, so what'd they do? She goes, well, first of all, they broke us up into green, yellow, and red rooms. <laughs> and, uh, and so I go, well, where'd you go? She goes, well, I just floated between them all and just met everybody. And, uh, and then and everybody kept saying, well, why are you wearing white? And she, and she goes, it just gave me a chance to talk and to tell them stuff that we've talked about. And it, and, and it turned some purity conversation. It turned my relationship with Christ. And she said, I had more good conversations. And everybody wanted to go, I'm wearing white to the next one of these things. And I just thought to myself, way to go, Allie. Good for you. And, and I, you know, I guess I'd say this in all humility. You know, I mean, that, that didn't happen on accident. That was 18 years in the working. Okay? And, uh, and I celebrate that as a manifestation of God's grace in her life. Because I know there's a lot of little girls there who had no relationship with their daddy that were desperate for a male's love, that were green in all the ways that were going to turn into real pain. And, um, and so, you know, God takes broken, imperfect guys 
And, and as you just depend on Him and cling on Him and pray for Him together, you know, God, God, God's still at work at raising great kids that are still themselves growing, just like their daddy is a long way from Jesus. My kids are a long way from being done. Okay, And that's the other thing. I've never asked my kids to not be who they were. I've never, ever told them, you can't. They've never heard me say, you've got to understand who you are and you're my kid. And I, I've never said that once. Because I, 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 the idea is so far to me. I've just said, hey, man, you just got to figure out who you love. This is who your daddy loves. And I'm for you. So anyway, let's just stop. It's yeah. 11.50. And, um, and I, you know, that was more than I thought we'd do, but we've got more, but we'll stop and just tell you guys, my prayer is that something today would be useful to you and that you would walk out of here realizing that, um, that you can change the legacy that you were given and that the legacy that you can leave is one that will be a joy to you like nothing you can imagine. Bless you guys.